welcome to FIGP's podcast series, FIGP Focus 45. FIGP is the only international NGO whose membership consists entirely of IP attorneys in private practice. The FIGP global community is driven by a shared interest among like-minded people to promote common solutions and advocacy for private practice. The FIGP business family makes the world a little bit smaller, bringing independent IP attorneys from around the globe together to focus on IP issues of global importance. Our host is Louis-Pierre Gravel, a registered patent agent and partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. Welcome to FICP's webinar and podcast series, FICP Focus 45. My name is Louis-Pierre Gravel, and I'm a partner at Bereskin & Par in Montreal, Canada. I'm a registered patent agent in Canada and the United States, and I work in the fields of quantum technology, AI, telecommunications, mechanical engineering, and information technology. Today, I will be having a conversation with Marek Lajewski, partner in the firm of LDS, Wajewski Depot, and Partners in Warsaw, Poland. Marek is past Secretary General of AIPPI and has interesting insights on the business of IP and how it is changing. Good morning, Marek. How are you? Good morning, Lucia. I'm very well, thank you. I'm on so, the road, actually. On the well, which is you know very consistent with our topic, which is the digital nomad series, and we'll come back to that in just a minute. But the last FICP Focus 45 was focused on some of the tools and tech professionals are using to be able to meet the needs of their clients while they're on the road. Uh, the topics we covered require an adequate infrastructure provided by the firm to allow remote working for all, from the support staff to the professionals. However, the discussion we had last week underlies a more fundamental aspect of the work and environment of a firm, and that is to encourage and foster people to work together. How about we start with a brief description of your firm, the number of people you have, and, and where you started just before the pandemic started? Yes, thanks. So we are just under 50, 46 people, I think, at the moment. Less than half of that is is attorneys, both litigators and uh, people doing prosecution, but uh, just IP, no, no other no other stuff. We mostly, uh, I think, the majority of our work is incoming from abroad, uh, but also uh, also some work for Polish clients picking up. Where we were <laughs> before the pandemic, I suppose we were where everybody everybody woke up at uh, wherever they woke up. They took this. They had some routine in the morning and then they started, uh, then they commuted. And then we worked properly in the office until uh, all the work has been done because that's the way people work. And nobody questioned that. There was, there was this situation. I mean, the, there was this elite group of people in the firm who were the most uh, experienced, the most mature, but you really had to prove yourself to be able to choose uh, where you work from. There was like maybe five people out of those 50 who could... Uh, who could do that? Partners included, uh, and it was not easy to to get that extreme privilege. <laughs> no, I, and well, yes, I can imagine because right before the pandemic, although a lot of people were talking about remote work and allowing people to to be road warriors and be able to to do all of this uh, outside of of the physical firm offices, um, the truth is there was not very much appetite generally. To, to be able to roll this out to, to a majority or even a, a large minority of members of a firm. There was this concept of management by walking around. And I read it in some sort of sophisticated uh, management literature. And I thought, yeah, that's what I do. That's my style. So now what changed or did not change when you had to deploy like a, a remote working environment for your professionals, for your partners, for your staff, 
one, from one day to the next. Yeah, I remember that. It, it happened, I mean, from decision to implementation, it was about a week or even less than a week. Uh, it, was, it was sometime in, in March, I think, that things started. Uh, I think the triggering fact when, when the schools were closed in Poland, uh, that's when we decided we just need to go completely online. So not, not so much had to change. We, we had because we had that ability for, for, for the select few to work online. The technology was there. You could have uh, VPN access to our server. You, you, we had uh, all email in the cloud. We had the MS365. So that there wasn't, we didn't really buy any technology. The problem was with hardware. Not too many people had laptops. People had to take their uh, desktop computers from the office home or some started using their private uh, laptops that we then had to basically manage. So that, that, was, that, was, that was a difficulty. There was a lot of work that happened. We, we have a fairly large uh, group of people who do process-driven stuff. So in Poland, maybe because the market is not that developed, so things like renewal, validation, European patent validations, that, and, and some other process-driven stuff, that still happens, uh, is done by law firms. So, so that, that, I think there was a lot of, and they had, there was this group of paralegals handling that, and they spent, invested a lot of effort into redefining the processes, which were basically physical, physically, they all sat in the same room, and that's where the, the, the whole uh, magic happened. So they spent a lot of time in de- devising, uh, stress testing different processes that they were going to use, and I th- think that was that was it for, for the strictly legal work that was you know this this always happened uh, people were always typing away at their computers and then discussing uh, things uh, on site so actually the the change was surprisingly easy if i think about it but i i i, I do think that the, there was a group of people who really invested a lot of time in into the redefining certain procedures that they follow and and that is an interesting point i think it's important to have the people who are ultimately going to be running these processes to be involved in redesigning them um, Mm -hmm. because you probably get a lot better buy-in and a lot better um, enthusiasm behind the the things like that. But you're also dealing with users who may have different skill sets, who may have very different levels of ease with technology. How do you address something like that, especially in a crisis situation? So it's it's different because we we, we are... We're sort of hourglass firm. So we are top heavy and bottom heavy. So we do a lot of these process-driven stuff and we do a lot of complicated litigation or or complicated uh, advice. And then, uh, so the approach is quite different. uh, At the the sort of process-driven, there was actually a lot of work in defining procedures, but they were always quite process-driven. So it was just a matter of of changing processes. Uh, We have actually been fairly, otherwise we have been, fairly liberal in allowing people to do whatever they please. This is part of this approach. I think it's now called specific buzzword diversity, neurodiversity, all these, all these words. But I think it, I mean, if, if I think about uh, pattern attorneys, I would think about neurodiversity, actually. Uh, that, that seems to be uh, uh, present. In, so we, there's different ways of working. Uh, there's different ways of processing information. There's different ways you get your energy. That, that was a bit of an equalizer, uh, I think, the, the pandemic between people who, were, people who were extroverts, maybe because I am an extrovert and I derive a lot of energy from interacting with people. They had it easier. And, and in a way, pandemic equalized that. We were all stuck uh, and, uh, and people who were introverts and still could contribute a lot have actually benefited in a way from the pandemic, is my, in my opinion. They've been, they've been more... Uh, They've been more appreciated, and and this sort of emphasized that we should allow every this diversity of of people that we have to work in diverse 
in that way as well. And we, you know, we we have all these all these problems with finding talent and and retaining talent that everybody is facing. So I think giving people uh, the ability to you know use this or that software as long as they use this or that method as long as within the team that works, I, I think that 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 was appreciated. So in an environment where your your people are physically distributed, uh, they're not all inside the same first, how do you, what do you need to put into place or what do you need to focus on to create and nurture this environment uh, required to foster effective collaboration? Yes, yeah, so I think for like day-to-day production, you don't need much and you can stay productive with, with ease. If you, however, if you want to innovate, if you want to look for different ways of solving uh, things and improving the way you're solving, then uh, some sort of cooperation is, and, and physical interaction is going to be indispensable. There's not, there's nothing is going to beat uh, uh, an in-person meeting. And uh, again, maybe I'm biased because I'm, I'm an extrovert, but uh, we have, uh, so we, we've been working one day a week in the office for the, for the last, uh, for the last year, actually, with a second day encouraged. So, and we ended up, we, we did a lot of uh, research and questionnaires on how people want to work. Again, within that, within that uh, theme of, of allowing people to be involved early on, to, to, to have more buy, buy-in. These people are willing to come to the office, but you need, them, you, you need to give them the good re- a good reason. They will not come to the office to do things they can do at home. And they'll be offended if you force them to, to do that and mightily discouraged. So, so we ended up actually focusing currently on a single day uh, where we actually do all the interactions that, that normally have been, uh, have, been spread, have been quite, maybe a bit more spontaneous, some of them, uh, and, uh, or at least spread out uh, across a week. So this is actually Wednesday. Here I am in Brussels. I managed to join two meetings. From here, but there's there's two others that I skipped because that w- would not work, and that's that's the that's the current status that we have all the meetings squeezed on Wednesday. If you don't, if I don't respond to your email on Wednesday, you know why? Because so, I you can only do it after five o'clock. No. <laughs> so everyone, note if you're writing to Matic on a Wednesday, <laughs> you're not going to get a response. It's going to be next business day, five p.m. No, no, I do <laughs> five p.m. <laughs> um, I want to come back to this issue of. All of a sudden, all your people are away. Yeah, you can VPN to the office, but it's not necessarily the most effective thing. I think during our our initial conversations before today, you talked about the fact that maybe some of your databases were in disparate systems. They were they were not. And and so, why was it important to try to consolidate all of that? And did that have an impact on the usability of the systems when you're remote? So this, I don't see this as a, a pandemic-driven process. All this automation, we've always been trying to automate certain things. Yeah, we have a, a bit of a 20th century file management system, which we like and which people got used to. So we're trying to build on top of it rather than, uh, and it, we also use it for billing, the same system. So it's file management and billing software, which is a bit 20th century. But we try because it's people adapted to it. I I, I don't think it makes sense. To, I, I love gadgets, but I don't think gadgets actually solve problems by themselves. They're just fun to play with. So we did not change that. And because of we, we had a lot of Excel sheets uh, and that, that was something. But the, the effort to eliminate them and move everything into, into, into the same software, into the same database, into this, this single file management uh, and billing database, that, that was quite a long-term effort. So it was, you, need, you need two things, I think, 
for change management in general, right? As they say in smart books, you need to, to involve people early on, what we said, and you need a certain sense of urgency. So indeed, uh, COVID was very useful because it clearly provided a sense of urgency uh, and, and, and allowed to, to accelerate these, these changes, both in terms of automating certain tasks and, uh, and in terms of, of uh, really making sure that the database is, that all the information is only stored in a single place and it's not doubled up in different, in different areas. And you can still have clever Excel sheet reports, but you need to store information. And it, you need to make sure it's accurate. You need to make sure that the right people enter the right information. And that's a lot of work, because sometimes the people who enter the, the information in the right places will not be the ones who will be benefiting from the, from the up-to-date data, it will be somebody else in the organization. So it, that, 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 is, that, is a, that is tricky sometimes to explain to them that it's worth a while to, to smoothen the process, that actually we're all, we're all going to benefit from that. So yeah, COVID was a bit helpful with that. And, and clearly things accelerated. You were, you were doing management by walking around and you, you were probably doing financial or data management through Excel sheets, which as everyone knows, who's been working with plethora of Excel sheets, they take a huge amount of time to build. And the information is already outdated by the time you put it into the Excel sheet because you don't have a direct conduit into your data source. I think what you're articulating is the fact that in order to be able to advance and to, and to be more nimble in terms of an organization, you really need to centralize and ensure high quality of your data in one area, or at least an authoritative version of that, of that data. So that when you're running reports, when you're trying to extract information from that data, you can do it more easily, smoothly, and with the most accurate information. Also, when you automate things, you need to have accurate data. So if you want the, 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 the right people to get the right document at the right moment, uh, because a certain process that is automated has started, and, and you need, then you need all the right data, you need the right numbers, you need the right accurate uh, uh, data for people who should receive uh, emails. And, and that, that, that was tricky. The, I'm not so critical about Excel. I, I don't know. I like Excel. I think it's a really cool product. <laughs> uh, I mean, not the brand, but the, the whole idea of, 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 of you know, I, I learned it at university at some point. I thought, this is a really useful, uh, this is a really useful tool. Uh, so I'm not so critical about it, but just uh, making it a place of storage is dangerous. <laughs> Clearly, it is. Let's talk about automation because I, I think there's, and, and certainly within FICP, the, uh, the Professional uh, Excellence Commission is looking at automation um, to assist firms in going down this path. Um, and I, I think there's probably a sense or a myth around it that automation is extremely expensive. But I understand that for you anyway, it, because or maybe you can tell me how you leveraged your existing suite of products to be able to implement it automation in a relatively cost-conscious effort. So we do small things. We do baby steps. We automate a small task. And then, so it's, I think, again, the, the lovely management buzzword is agile, where you tweak something a little bit, you look at how it works and then tweak it further. This, this is the approach we've been using. I'm not sure why, I mean, Again, the, the, why is it perceived as expensive? I, I never perceived. So my experience is that, yeah, it, it requires investment, but it, it, it can be these small steps where you have a, something that will, I'm, I'm talking about relatively simple automation so that, you know, people get emails uh, based on the entry in the, in the file management system or uh, some sort of, you, you, an email from the client is forwarded to a, to a predictable uh, 
uh, internal mailbox that will start a, a process of, I don't know, validation. And then data will be pulled from, uh, from some sort of public databases. So this is something that could happen in a second. It happens much longer because we still have people involved in it and, and checking that, that it goes well. It is, we're talking about things that you would take a single person a day happening in, in a sphere of 15, 20 minutes now. And there are small steps, there are small aspects of, of big processes. I'm, I'm not, a, again, I love gadgets, but I'm not a big believer that you're going to spend a fortune on, on the solving every issue uh, by a, a magnificently cool piece of software. I'm not even sure what's the technology we're using. I think it's, it's probably... Microsoft Flow, which is uh, part of the Microsoft 365 suite. Uh, and it's like this, if this, then that kind of software. So I think we're using a bit of that. And then we're, we're coding some of that in this into this uh, 20th century file management system. So you, you mentioned the Microsoft suite of products. And I think that's, um, I think that's a, another interesting point, because I suspect that quite a few firms have subscription to the Microsoft 365, various levels of subscription which gives you various access to, to products. But if you start looking at the suite of products that are included in your license, a lot of products out there that can that can be leveraged. So, you know, you talked about Microsoft Flow, there's other uh, products as well. Do you, do you feel that you're leveraging those tools adequately or do you feel that you have access to a lot more that you have not unlocked? I don't think these products are perfect. There's better for each of these, there's better products out there. Uh, I think the reason we we switched, so we, we use, for instance, Microsoft Planner for uh, like internal status meetings and sort of case management, which is this Kanban table. So we used to use Trello, which is a much better product actually. Uh, but we switch. I again. I don't think the the technical superiority is the ultimate uh, is the ultimate uh, decisive factor. I, I think it's more about how can you fit it into your own internal processes. There's also security. I mean, Microsoft. I think to the extent we, we've we've verified the security quite quite uh, quite robustly, and it, it looks it looks very good to us. Uh, I understand uh, we mentioned in previous uh, seminars. Uh, something about concerns with where the data is actually stored and whether there is certain jurisdictional issue with with access to this information so this is not at least from the published ethical perspective that's not something we 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 would be so concerned about that would be we would be sort of forced by by local ethical rules at least that's my uh, my opinion uh, so we you know the, then you need to just manage this one password or we actually i think will start using two factor authorization and then this seems really secure and you have access to all the all the all the software there's SharePoint. there's quite a lot there i, I think we use the majority but some of some of them are still are still outstanding it's not the best but i think it's more important that it fits within your processes that people somehow understand uh, you're not you're not forcing people to use something that their neurodiversity objects upon or that their preferences uh, you know so i think it's easier to to encourage people to use a single suite of products rather than all these different places uh, where they have to log in and and different and, and have different uh, methodologies of accessing and methodologies of working and i think that also goes back to your point of being able to limit the proliferation of different uh, repositories for the data. I mean, there are tools out there that allow disparate systems or separate systems to talk to each other, to extract, and in some cases, write data to a, a non-native system. But certainly, 
if one if your priority or if your concern is user uptake on some of the newer tools or processes that you're using, then clearly having an interface that everyone is comfortable with is a huge first win because you're right, they don't need to learn a whole different system. They're, they're used to the interface. They know where things are. It's a question of perhaps changing some work habits, but that since that is already a big challenge for, for some users, then at least giving them an, an environment where they're comfortable, it, it helps you win product acceptance. So all, all these, for instance, all these automation, you don't see that. You don't see the technology we're using for that. We're trying to make it. That's why I don't even know what exactly is the software we're using for that because you don't see it unless you're you're part of the IT team. One of the other questions that comes up when we're transitioning from a fully remote firm to a firm that's coming back to the office and you address the issue that you're encouraging your people to come in one day a week. Uh, and that's when you're holding some of these internal meetings. And the point you made was, well, you know, in any event, all these internal meetings were probably scattered during the week. So what we're trying to do is concentrate them on one day to sort of optimize the time that they're in to the office. If that's the approach you're taking, are you also taking a deliberate decision to avoid scheduling any of these internal meetings on the other days when people are at home? Yeah. So we're, we're going to have people come in now compulsory twice a week. So some teams will be coming on Tuesday, some on Thursday, and then everybody will be in on Wednesdays. And yeah, the assumption is the teams will, will schedule their meetings on the day they're in. And all the meetings that are, that are sort of cross-firm, uh, and we have a town hall once a month, that, that will all be uh, on Wednesday. They will not be back-to-back, so you'll, you're going to have space between them so that hopefully there is some spontaneous interaction that will generate out of these meetings. And that is that happens. That's why we want people there. We don't, you know, I, I joined one of these meetings today, but I could mostly listen. It's difficult to get something in because it, it is it is a very interactive uh, way this goes on. And then you know it's going to break up. On some people are going to have issues that I want to discuss together, and and that's gonna that's gonna happen in between these meetings. I, I think the technology again is secondary. <laughs> it's just an excuse to to have these interactions. Yeah, normally you know you would sort of walk around. Or I don't know. You would stick around. Uh, we 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 have a, a little place you make coffee, and you know it's like a kitchen area in the office. So you would try and catch somebody on his way there if you want. If you had an issue, now that's not going to happen. And scheduling a, a Teams meeting is a big deal. Uh, and uh, so that that's how we try to generate the space for these small interactions. Uh, and you cannot do them online. I really don't think you can do them online. I think. Most people would agree that after having done two years of, of Teams and Zoom and and WebEx and things like that, those spontaneous collisions, those accidental conversations that occur when people are in person, they, you just cannot encourage them or create them in a virtual environment. Um, but I, that that also leads into my next question, which is the, the burning question that we have in most of the large cities in North America. And that is, how much physical space do you need for an office? And is there an opportunity to reduce some of that space and change a little bit how people are working internally? Why don't you share with us your your experience and the ultimate decision that you made. We spent an enormous amount of time on this. This is really, I can't believe this. This is what we had online questionnaires. We had different types of group meetings and discussion. We ended up hiring a consultant on this. 
uh, we really invested a lot of time. And I was hoping we're going to, we ended up not reducing uh, the office space that much. And, uh, and maybe part of it is budgetary. Poland, Warsaw is not as expensive as, say, New York or London in terms of office space. So this is not such a huge decision. We, we've ended up with, with everybody having their own desk <laughs> in a bigger room, in a sort of four-person or six-person room but not open space and no, no hot desks. We used to, maybe part of that, is we had some trauma four or five years ago when we were moving offices. We ended up in a temporary spot, which was open space, too small and, and clearly substandard. So there's this trauma that, 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 that is left in, in, in our people that, that hot desking is something absolutely uh, demeaning and, 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 and horrible. Yeah, so that, that's, that's the decision we made. These, these four people rooms can also be turned into meeting rooms easily. Uh, that is also the idea. So some of the meetings will actually be happening uh, in, these, uh, in these rooms. That's where we landed after, Jesus Christ, way too much <laughs> discussion. But, but maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that, was, uh, that was worthwhile. But, but it's interesting. So, and, and I know this probably you know, conjures up some, some trauma on your side about the length and the time spent on these discussions. But you know, what, were the, what were the main arguments for reducing the size and ultimately, what were the main arguments for keeping it the way, way it was? Having a lot of sort of rooms, as we now have, where people work on their own, doesn't really make sense if you want people to come into the office to do something they cannot do at home. Yeah? If, if everybody has a home office, there is no point of coming into the office and working as you do in your home office with closed doors and, and mainly, mainly working documents. So, uh, so that's one. And, and then the costs, yeah. Cost saving is, is another driver. Also, I was hoping we will reduce the space where people sit so we can boost this interactive space. So we can have some sort of living room area. We have a kitchen area. Maybe we could do a living room area or, or some other sort of area that where you, which is made for interacting in, in different manners. Uh, we're probably going to have some of that, but not as much. It seems we're going to try and transform these, these, these uh, working rooms into places you can also uh, easily interact and ultimately, I mean, you've made this decision. So people are coming in once now. They're going to be coming in twice a week. How would you say you would judge the, maybe morale is a big word, but certainly the, the energy within your, your people, the even productivity, are you, getting a, are you able to get a sense of where you're going as a firm? So I, I, as I said, I'm an extrovert. So I derive a lot of energy out of these meetings. In particular, we have these this small small thing these kanban tables where we have a meeting and each everybody sort of we go through the you know kanban tables are like these where you have different uh, stages of a particular project and then you initially you had like post-it notes that you that represented each project and you would move physically move the the post-it note and now you do it now you can do it online and that that's a very always a very good discussion where a lot of ideas get generated about how we could do things better how we could use know-how from this case is another case and how, and then that generates a lot of interaction between people. And, and, and the, the, this is people reporting to the partners. This is really a, a, a multilateral discussion that goes on. And I think when people are in the office, they're happy. It's just the morning where you have to make a decision whether you go to the office now <laughs> that you're tempted to say, ah, not today, yeah, whatever. My son needs assistance with something or 
you know, I haven't yet walked my dog. He's, he's, yeah, I can do it during lunch break if I stay in. I was, you know, this, this sort of, this sort of little things. That, that's the challenge. I think when people end up in the office uh, and, and you give them uh, activity, activity that makes sense, that is, that is unique to to the office. Then my, my feeling is, but again, I'm partial because I liked. So, so you, you may want to, you know, this is the first week actually where we're, 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 we're forcing people to be there twice, twice a week. Uh, so maybe I'll have some feedback by. <laughs> so we'll, we'll hook you up in con to see how things are going a few months later. So the last webinar was focused on on tech and and perhaps some of the the, the tools or or toys or devices that that can be used. Today's discussion, I think, we tried to focus a little bit more on the on the human aspect of it. So I guess the question is, well, how do you bridge the notion of, you know, people being road warriors or digital nomads and, you know, being able to get the work done and service the clients and at the same time be able to be at a at a conference or in another city for some meetings and and still be play the role that you're expected to play within the firm with this this desire or this the the focus on the human relations aspect of things that the, those collisions, though that that fostering of firm culture of belonging to a group that everyone works in the same direction, and therefore probably by definition are not nomadic. Yeah, I, I have certain reservation about this concept of a nomad. I have to say this sort of maybe I I understand this idea that you should be able to work everywhere, wherever wherever the life throws you, you should be able to to get things done and. There's this sort of idea of being a lonely wolf that that is doesn't feel uh, belonging to a particular tribe and, and can can easily switch tribes, which is a problem now. Uh, I think that people, you know, when they change tribes or change offices, they don't change much. They're still sitting in the same location. They still have the same computer. They just upload to a different cloud. So the, uh, it, it bothers me. I, I As part of diversity, I'm happy to have a few nomads. I don't think that uh, the sort of lonely wolf consultant is is going to be the core of, of a firm. I, I, uh, maybe there is a different style. The style we have is trying to do a lot of things in teamwork, trying to obsessively review things from different angles and, and, and challenge ideas. And for that, you need a diverse group of people and, and they, need to, they need to interact. Once, once a week is, is for me an absolute minimum. So I'm, I, I love to travel. I love to roam and, and go places, but I, I still think that this nomad, I understand the concept, but I, I, have, certain, I have certain reservation about the full implications of, of, this, uh, uh, of this idea. To continue on that theme a little bit, so you've taken a firm decision not a firm decision as in it's not going to change, but the decision was taken by the firm to have people in, well, twice a week, really. Do you think or see that you might have to increase the number of days at the office? Or do you think two days is going to be enough for you to be able to create that sense of community? We'll see. I'm not sure I'm going to get more than one extra day ever. I, I think Mondays and Fridays are gone. Essentially, unless you have, <laughs> unless the clients force you forces you into a meeting, I don't know. You know, people will still come in. We actually have a lot of, uh, for instance, the Polish administration. The, both the courts, patent office is not so bad, but the courts are, are still quite uh, quite heavy on uh, paper. So you need to file a lot of stuff still on paper, and you receive stuff on paper. So you need to come in for that uh, and and when there is and you need to have space to uh, to do that so also you need people who are going to OCR OCR all these 
all these all, all, all the incoming stuff because a lot of stuff still is incoming on paper yeah but i i think five days a week is, is never going to happen again and if if anything we we just did it because that's you know that's how our grandfather that's how your father did it so that's how you do it but there wasn't i mean when put to the test it was quite clear that i don't think it was ever necessary i don't know when when it became uh, not necessary but uh, quite a few years ago you know we talk about tech not being the answer to to everything you know i think a lot of this remote work was started or certainly became more prevalent in, in Silicon Valley in those companies that had a lot of tech workers that in fact could do a lot of the stuff and didn't have to come into the office. But I think you're right. I think we will need to revisit this issue of how many days a week we actually want people to come into the office. I think you're also right. I think five days a week is, is gone. I think people should make sure that they put an X on that one because I don't see it happening, in, at least in, in my generation. I think in the survey we did, five days are off, there was only one person who didn't have very negative emotions because we tested that. There was this, one of the questions, what are your emotions towards different solutions? So there's only one person who had slightly negative emotions <laughs> and all the rest had very negative emotions. So yeah, I, that, that, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I don't, I don't think I can, <laughs> that's pretty clear back feedback. I, I, and I'd be curious if you if you tested four days a week, how was the the emotion? And I'm I'm. It was also pretty negative. Yeah, I would need to look at the. I I, I can't. Tell. I don't think there was a positive. Maybe there was mildly positive. Yeah, there, there was there was one one person that was mildly positive on four days a week. Uh, one question has come out, and that ties back to this issue of you know being physically in the office for some time and not. What are your experiences or what are your thoughts on the issue of remote onboarding? So you're going to be hiring someone start next Monday or the Monday after no one's in the office how do you how do you do this yeah that's that's the this, the the trickiest bit I would say <laughs> this and this sort of uh, great resignation of of the very very junior admin staff uh, who who seem to be you know because we're still having for instance reception operating five days a week because Again, there's all these paper incoming and it can be it's incoming by post. So somebody needs to sit there to to get the the paper from from the court or from from uh, from the opponents. There needs to be somebody who is focusing on onboarding. That's I think the solution we are currently working on. That there'll be somebody who is willing to come to the office more to work with uh, to work one on one with uh, or to to basically be the sort of somebody who 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 manages the the process for for and you cannot do too many people you cannot onboard too many people at the same time maybe one maybe two you need one senior associate who's going to really monitor the well-being uh, of of this person and then people need to come in i think to work with them they could also you know they could also uh, work with them online but somebody needs to make sure that this person is not left hanging because nobody has any anything uh, you know normally you would have seen it that there's this person who sort of wanders around and asks people that's not going to happen so that is the solution we are currently landing on i'm we have struggled with uh, with onboarding in the last uh, in the last two years and uh, and when i say there's some people who felt they don't change much because they log in from a very similar computer to a very similar looking crowd and that 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 is that is the experience we had with with uh, uh with some junior associate that they didn't really feel uh you know they didn't really feel particularly attached yeah i, I think that that requires this person to devote more time limiting their own billable hours limiting their own uh, on top of their regular work but seems to be the only sensible solution to me 
So another question that has come in is, um, and it's related to, to the onboarding to a certain extent, and this presence at the firm is, at least in some of the major, even some of the medium urban centers, there's been a desire of people to leave the, the core of the city to move further afield because they don't need to come into the office all the time and because they want to enjoy quality of life a little bit better. How do you, how do you reconcile that with getting these people into the office one day a week where their commute is potentially going to be much longer than it was? I think my, my attitude will be similar to Nomad's. I'm, I'm willing to have a, a small amount of people like that. You're not going to be the core of the firm. That's okay. That's fine. I think you need people like that. It gives you flexibility. Yeah, we have one person who is quite a valued uh, person who does a lot of translations, for instance, for us. And she actually lives very close to the Ukrainian border. And, and that works well. But that, that is a person who hasn't boarded on site. <laughs> so she knows us and we know her. And that simplifies things. Also, it's a type of work that can be uh, done off site easily. I, I don't think, and she's okay with sort of staying in, in a similar uh, position. So she does not desire to grow. I think if you desire to move on uh, and to progress into, into, into new, into, then I don't think you can, uh, you can be fully, at least that's, that's again, that's our style. I, I, I understand there's firms who do it differently, but I, I really don't see that. I think that echoes a conversation I had with a partner in another firm a few weeks ago where we, we probably came to the conclusion that for, for those younger associates or the support staff that, as you say, want to progress, they are, um, you know, they have some ambition, they want to uh, improve themselves personally and also improve their position within the firm. Those are the people who will be in the office more often, who are going to be closer to where things happen and are going to be, whether you like it or not, noticed more. And I, and I think as a firm, if, if you... And correct me if I'm wrong, if, if I'm misinterpreting your, your, your comments, but I think as a firm, if you're, if you're able to articulate that properly and to, and to say, look, it's, it's okay. If you want to live an hour, two hours away from the firm, that's fine. We understand it, but you, you need to understand that for our firm, if you have an objective in mind, you may not be in the best position to reach that objective. The same thing for, for support staff. And as long as everyone understands what the rules are, then it's hard to, to not be happy, I suppose. Yeah, but it, it, it is this core non-core. Yeah, I, I think that, that, that for me, that, that is the distinction that's going to happen. And, and that doesn't mean not important. That, that can actually be an extremely important part of the team. Um, I've, we've run out of time. I mean, this conversation has just gone by so quickly. Before we close it off, do you have any last thoughts or last comments you'd like to make to our audience? No, I, I think my overarching point was, was emphasized by you quite nicely, which is technology is cool, but actually it's secondary to, to the human aspect of things. And it's, it's more of a, its role is to enable certain interactions between real human beings in real life. That's my, that's my feeling. And that this, this sort of online life, you can do a lot of things, surprisingly many things, but it's kind of fake. It's not real. No, those are the last words. I, we should end on this. It's not real. It's a little fake. And uh, thank you very much, Matic, for, for being with us today. I really appreciate, appreciate being able to, to take some time out of your busy schedule to speak with us. Thank you very much, everyone. And uh, stay tuned for the next episode where we will be talking to Roberto Pistolesi of FICPI on golf and uh, IP. Thank you very much. If you have any questions about the topics discussed in this podcast, 
You can sign up for free and message us, ficp.org. You can also find out more of what's to come on the FICP Focus 45 podcast series, either on the events page of our website, LinkedIn, or via our newsletter. See you next time.